Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, then we're doing a four-week series, basically just through the first chapter. And if you wouldn't mind standing, please, then we'll read, continuing where we picked off, uh, left off last week in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, down to verse number 17. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 11, partially because of where we were this past week, I've been so excited to get into this text and hearing the churches like ours that were giving, you know, $100 at a time and $200 and $500 and $1,000 at a time to get churches planted and help people get into church buildings and the $500,000 that was given away just last week from churches like this. That, that is awesome. And it fits into the, the story of the gospel here, the whole purpose of a conference like that and the money that is spent on things like that. And the emphasis of our church on missions this month really plays into that. We've been going for, you know, 10 to 15 years now to this conference, or maybe more than that. And it's beautiful to see several of the churches that we've helped in the past, now where they were once just fledgling churches and 5, 10 people that would meet and sometimes nobody would show up, then to hear the testimonies year after year of those churches growing and seeing more people saved and then coming and contributing now at a conference like that is awesome. We donated to a church in New York City years ago, decades ago now, and uh, that was one of the churches that we were able to visit with the teens who went on the trip this past year, and then to see the financial contribution from decades ago, to see that church established and then getting into an old synagogue right there in Queens, New York City, and planting churches out of that church now. We visited a church in the Bronx, and we visited a church in Brooklyn, and he had another church planter there that was now going to Long Island. And, and that has become like a hub for church planting. And so the efforts that you give, that give to a conference like that, just pays dividends. If you look at an interest-bearing accounts, this is about as good as it gets right there at the church planting conference. And that's exactly what we're after. So church planting is a, a wonderful thing to be a part of. And that's what, that's what Timothy emphasized, and that's what Paul emphasized. So that's what we'll keep on emphasizing as well. So 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse number 11, this is not a message about social gospel or social programs, although those are wonderful things, but really, verse 11, this is the heart of why we do what we do, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. It's all about preaching the gospel. And verse 12 says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a, a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. And then verse 17 is like he's dwelling on this and just bursts out into almost like a hymn. Now, Unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory.
forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word today. Thank you once again that we can open it and study it these thousands of years later, and it's still relevant for people in 2020. It may seem like an ancient, outdated book, and yet I believe it has the same power that it always has, and it changes the same types of people that it always has. And thank you, dear God, for blessing us with this perfect, preserved Word of God that we're holding in our hands today. I pray if there's somebody in here who's never been confronted with the gospel and has always seen it perhaps as just a confrontation of their sin, I pray that they view you and see your love this morning through the Word. We thank you for the change you can bring to our lives in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I was down speaking to some fellow youth directors that were down in San Diego yesterday at a youth rally, and they had a separate split session for them. And I was basically just looking at this text and thinking about youth ministry. Now, what's, and the question kept coming up what is the best thing we can do for teenagers? What's the greatest impact we can have in their lives? If we, if we were to form a youth ministry the Bible way, what would it look like? And if the Apostle Paul could be the, Cal, the, the Calvary Baptist Church youth pastor, how would he approach the youth ministry? If Pastor Timothy were called to become, uh, come here and be on staff at Calvary Baptist Church, what would his emphasis be in our youth ministry? What would be the best thing that a youth pastor can do for a group of young people. And in other words, the question is, what does God have me do? What's the best thing I can be doing in youth ministry? And I think God gives us a little snapshot that it's not just a focus on youth ministry that God's best ideals are for, but it's a, it's a, it's a broader principle than that, that his best for the whole world, really, revolves around this same simple message that preachers have been preaching and youth pastors have been preaching for the past uh, 2,000 years now, and it's the glorious gospel of the blessed God. If a youth ministry can be focused around the glorious gospel of God, he doesn't have to come up with new games all the time. He doesn't have to be the most in, uh, interesting youth pastor. He doesn't have to be a great uh, speaker. If there's a young man who is, or, or an old man, it's not reference to age. If there's a man who can be focused on and guided by the Holy Spirit of God to focus his youth ministry on the gospel, I think that's the highest ideal of Scripture. I think that's the best way that any church could be formed for youth ministry or for the church in general. And I think that's what Paul is getting at Timothy here, is that there's so many things that we can be doing with our time, but what is the best things we should be doing with our time? I know that churches can be made up of a lot of different things that make up the church, but what's the best thing that the church should be focused on? What's the ideal of what church should be? What is the main thing that a church should be about? And he revolves this whole first chapter around the gospel and around men who are taking the gospel and who are preaching the gospel. This young man, Timothy, was like a carbon copy of himself and saying, the best thing that I know how to be, I'm following Jesus Christ, and I want you to follow Jesus Christ. And so follow Timothy. He's following me as I'm following Christ. He's just like me. And verse number one says, he's my, verse number two, he's my own son in the faith. And now your job, Timothy, we've looked at it in the past, where he was passing through Ephesus, the church that Paul planted. He said, you're going to stay here. And I knew it when I left. I knew there'd be 
wolves that would enter the flock and try to draw people away from the truth. But Timothy, your job right now is to reestablish the truths that I taught them from the beginning. There's going to be those who try to teach this weird newfangled law thing that they're pulling their doctrines out of the genealogies of the Old Testament. And you need to combat that. You need to fight against that. You need to focus on truth. And so last week was all about, you know what, let's just go back to the basics of the law. The law is good, he says in verse 8, if it's handled lawfully. And it's not all about the fight of Christianity, but I will fight to protect the truth that's there. And so he keeps on explaining the truth once again, in that the law is right if it's used lawfully, like justice is blind, so too with the Ten Commandments. We're all judged equally according to the Ten Commandments, and he starts listing them off. If you dishonor your parents, you're guilty of the law. If you murder and if you hate, you're guilty of breaking God's law. If you have adulterous thoughts or homosexual uh, uh, thoughts and tendencies, he says these are all breaking of God's law, big or small, these thoughts. These things are against God's law. It goes all the way down to lying. And, and lies, the, the uh, eighth commandment, is a breaking of God's law, and that is standing against an eternally perfect God. And for us as humans who are flawed, he says our lives are just lining up against the law and will always come up short like that. Because justice is blind and we're all on an equal playing field as humans who are flawed humans. And he says, just go back to the basics of what I've been teaching you, Timothy, and preach that to your church. Let your church be all about the glorious gospel. Because it's not just about the bad news of, oh, great, well, we're all lawbreakers. What, what can I do now? I, I, I guess I'm hopeless and I'm condemned. And there's an aspect of that that's true. But the good news is verse number 11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, the blessing-giving God, the one who has chosen to forgive you, the one who wants and stands ready to forgive you, no matter what you've done, no matter how many of the laws you have broken, no matter how egregiously you have broken those laws, anyone, anyone is up for forgiveness through simple faith in Jesus Christ. You might be in here saying, I don't know if anyone is up for forgiveness. I know some pretty terrible people. And I've read about some pretty terrible people through history. And you might even be in here saying, you know what? On the outside, I might be dressed up, I might look okay here, I'm in church, I'm in a Baptist church in 2020, I'm doing okay, but I don't know, I know my own past, and I know that if God knows everything about me like you say he does, I don't know if God ever could forgive me. If you say there's things inside me that you may not even realize, I've done some horrible things, now I draw your attention to a man that's right in your shoes, verse number 13. Here's what the Apostle Paul said about his past, who is before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. I, I was a blasphemer, Paul says. I took the holy name of God, I took the name of Jesus Christ, and I dragged it down to earth and treated it like trash. I took the creator of the world and blasphemed his name. I looked, very, very, I, I looked down on the name of God. I did not lift up God in his rightful position. I did that, Paul says. 
and, and I was a persecutor. You don't know about my past, and sometimes they did. And he would tell his story. He would tell his testimony of how he came to Christ. Many, many times in Scripture, we find it five or six different times where he tells the details of his past. He says, I was a blasphemer, and I was a persecutor, and I was injurious. I was a bully. I was a tyrant. And you may know the history of who Saul was before he became the Apostle, the apostle Paul. He says, I took, I, I took great joy in hurting other people. That's injurious. I was a bully. I was a spiritual bully. And Paul says about himself, and I punished them oft in every synagogue. He was the political leader. He had all the power of the government behind his back. He had the rule of law on his Rounded up the these Christ, and I punished them often in every synagogue. I went synagogue to synagogue to find Christians, and I compelled them to blaspheme. And, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them, even unto strange cities. You thought you could get away from Saul? He'll hunt you down and kill you. He will go into strange cities far away. If you think, Saul cannot persecute me here. He said, oh no, I hunted them all down and killed them all. There was nobody that was safe around me. I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons, both men and women. I, I persecuted them all. There was nobody that was off limits. And he says, he, when he's talking about the gospel, he says, Christ came to save sinners. But he says, sinners, you, you want to talk about sin, of whom I am chief. I'm the worst sinner that ever lived, Paul says. When I was Saul, my old life, my past life, I don't think he's just being exaggerating here. I don't think he's, uh, I don't think he's just talking like a good Christian talks. No, I'm the worst. I'm the worst sinner that's ever lived. No, I'm the worst. You don't know my past. I think Paul really thought I was the worst sinner that ever lived. I, I was the chief of sinners. I was the worst person to have ever lived. I think he really believed that. I was the chief sinner. I was preaching yesterday in San Diego, and there's a lot of active duty military. And one of the, one of the things that many military uh, people over the years have, have struggled with is just their past. I mean, not to even dredge up anything in your own mind if this is you, but struggles with PTSD and struggles with what they had to do in their past life. On Wednesday night at the conference, Brother Carl Brunster preached. He's been involved in world missions for, he's 95 years old, and he's up there preaching to a crowd of 2,000 people. And he's talking about his past. And his, his son-in-law and daughter were there in the service. His son-in-law was the one that led my dad to Christ, got him into church way back in the 70s. And, and, and so just a precious couple. They talked about Brother Boonstra being involved in the raids on D-Day and being involved in the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. And you read the history stories and you read Vietnam stories and you read Korean War stories of active duty combat veterans who have to do some, some absolutely terrible things. Then they come home from war and there's, there's struggles in their own minds that, that, that they think, I, I can't believe what I had to do. And it's almost like it's shut up and it's shut down and they don't want to even bring those things up anymore. And it's almost like Paul is rehashing these things like a veteran. Saying, I had indiscriminate power to chase Christians down and kill them. Men and women didn't matter. I could kill all of them. And I did. And imagine what, what, what Paul must have had to do to cause people to blaspheme. 
And we know a little bit about this from our history books, the Martyr's Mirrors and the Fox's Book of Martyrs, where they were compelled to blaspheme. They were brought onto the racks, or they were brought or crucified, or they were slowly burned to death, or they were, whatever it was, the Inquisition, the Catholic Church would force people to recant their faith and stand against them, and they were, they were absolutely destroyed for the purpose of getting them to turn on their God. And Christians, by the hundreds of thousands and millions, would not recant. But Paul said, I made some people blaspheme. I found the weak points in their lives that I would press on that wound. And whether it was a wife or whether it was a child threatening with torture, I know where to hit people where it hurts. And I cause people to blaspheme. I can't imagine what's in Paul's past where he says, I was the worst person who ever lived. And thinking about what he had to do as one who supposedly was zealous for God, and to get a name known all around, the, all around the region, people were absolutely fearful of him. Galatians, he says, For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. I wasted the church of God and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. I was the most passionate persecutor of Christians. I was the one who chased them to the outer reaches. I was the one who killed children to get dads to blaspheme God. I was the one who hurt wives to get dads to blaspheme God and shame the name of Jesus Christ. I was the one who killed entire families that wouldn't turn, wouldn't turn away from God. If you feel bad for your past, you're definitely not alone. If you feel bad about what is on your mind, sometimes in the quiet moments of your life, then, then you're right in company with the Apostle Paul himself, who says, oh, before I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. I was the chief of sinners. I was absolutely the worst person that ever lived. That was my past. That was when I was Saul. And the man Saul was this terrible persecutor of Christians and he felt the sense of guilt and the weight of the law on his shoulders when he was confronted with the truth. And, and if you're saying, boy, I'm, I'm feeling really bad about myself. I don't know if breaking the law is really this serious. Am I in the same boat as Paul? And friend, that's all of us in here. Amen. We're all to the same level of guilt that that is. And yet there's a good aspect of that. He said, what could be good about killing people for their faith. Verse number 13 is the good part. He says, yeah, it was all those things, but the middle of verse number 13, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. I was, thought I was serving God. Verse 14, the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That I had such a huge pile of sins in my life. You know what? The grace of God was even exceeding abundant. I thought my sins were overflowing. I thought I was the worst person who ever lived. And God says, you know what? I've forgiven all of those sins and a whole bunch more as well. Not just abundantly forgiven those sins, but exceeding abundantly forgiven those sins. As bad as you think you got, Paul, Paul says, as bad as I thought I was, God's grace covered every one of those sins and more. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound, he wrote to the church in Rome. And, 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 and you think, how could this be? In Acts number 9, he's breathing out threatenings and slaughtering people. 
the disciples of the Lord in Acts number 9, and finally Jesus appears to him in the sky and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? All these persecutions you thought were against Christians are standing against me. And in that moment when he's confronted with Jesus Christ and he sees himself as a sinner and Jesus Christ as the forgiving Savior, he decided, I have a decision to make. Am I going to follow my way or am I going to turn my life to Jesus Christ? And in that moment, knowing that his sin was right there before him and he was persecuting Jesus Christ who is God and appears to him, he says, Lord, Lord, What wilt thou have me to do? And at that moment, he loves telling the story of what he used to be. And when he he was confronted by Jesus Christ, when he turned his life over to Jesus Christ, he loves telling the story, Jesus forgave me of my past. And And I made him Lord of my life. And now he provides forgiveness and mercy and grace for all who will repent of their sins and turn to Jesus Christ. He says, afterwards, I came into the region of Syria and Cilicia, He says, I got saved there on the road and and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in time past now preacheth the faith, which was once destroyed. He says, I went to this church and they're all scared. They don't know me by face. They just know me by reputation. And yet when they heard that Saul, the man who has this terrible past, had turned to actually become a preacher of righteousness now, then it says, and they glorified God in me. And that, that took some friend from, I mean, that took some help from his friend who started introducing him to his Christian friends and saying, look, this is brother Saul now. This is my brother in Christ. And, and you might call that just this miraculous change because of the glorious gospel, the beautiful message of the gospel that can change the, the, the Sauls in your life into people like the Apostle Paul. Historians who know about the character, the historical character Saul, puzzle at, at, his, at his conversion. They go, if there's no God, and if there's no Jesus, and this resurrection thing is so fake, I'm really not sure why a guy who spent his career persecuting Christians, historians are going, I don't know why he switched. I don't know what in his life. Maybe it's a midlife crisis. I don't know what he was going through at the time, but obviously something made him change, and Christians are going, well, yeah, the obvious explanation is that it was God, and that God is real, and that God is ready to forgive, and then it's the, the light finally came on for Saul and turned him into the apostle Paul. Ronald Reagan's son just came out last week with a commercial during the Democratic debates, and he ended off the thing saying, I'm Ron Reagan, and I have no fear of burning in hell. He's a devout atheist. He's a uh, 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 part of this Freedom From Religion Foundation, this outspoken, vocal atheist, and absolutely we don't believe in God. You might be in here saying this is all hogwash, this is crazy, this is ridiculous, I I can't believe that, and you say, "I I doubt God can save, I doubt God would save, I doubt there is a God, if that's your... If that's your take on it, I have this beautiful message for you that God loves you and cares for you and stands ready to forgive you of your sins if you'll turn to him. Say this is is absolutely the truth of God that the gospel can change someone from a Saul into a Paul. And we look at somebody like Ron Reagan who would say, how could he be so outspoken against God? And you say, that case is hopeless. Obviously, that case is hopeless. And yet I stand before you saying, is it any more hopeless than Saul? who breathed out threatenings and persecutions against 
Christians themselves? Is it any more hopeless than Saul who could be turned into Paul? Brother Carlos Serrano is the pastor down at the church that I was at yesterday, and he said, I had the worst flu of my life this last week. I got tested, and I had A and B flu, whatever that means. He says, I was out for a week. I was out for an entire week. And yet there's a funeral, I believe it was of his dad. I didn't get the entire story. But he said, I had an aunt who is an outspoken atheist. Really hard case. She's a lawyer, very, very intelligent, just a, a fierce lady, just absolutely against everything about the gospel. He says, I stood up there and preached the funeral. I had 104 temperature. I didn't know who was in the crowd, but thank God, he said, my aunt got saved says, this one who it seems like it's this hopeless cause. He said, I was, I, I, I was a little embarrassed because we all thought, oh, she's never going to get saved. She's never going to turn to Christ. And, and we look at those stories and we say, God works in miraculous ways. Obviously, he can break through anybody's heart. You say, no, I'm too far gone. I don't know if I could ever take that step. I'm, I'm just so far gone. I have a dollar bill here. I got to dig it out. Got a dollar bill here, and you say, I'm just absolutely worthless. I'm not a part of anybody. You need to spend your time on a more expensive illustration, a $100 bill. You should spend your time on those kids who are valuable, those kids in the junior church, those ones who are, are worth something. They're in pristine condition. They have their whole lives ahead of them. You should spend all your time trying to convince them they haven't messed up like I've messed up. They don't have a past like I have a past. They're more valuable. They're more valuable than I am. They're the ones worthy of investing in. And if your mind is racing with thoughts like, well, that's true, God does value one more than the other, then you have a complete misunderstanding of grace. Because it's not like some people are destroyed and crumpled up messes and they are less valuable than somebody else like this, but I called it a dollar bill. I lied in the pulpit. It's a sort of a dollar bill. But it's also a hundred dollar bill. And no matter what value you place on yourself, in God's eyes... There's equal value to everyone, no matter the past, no matter the future, no matter what's ahead of you. God views everybody on the equal, on equal level. There's no one that's more important. There's no job that's more important. There's nobody that's too wrecked. There's nobody that's too destroyed. In God's eyes, we're talking about equal value here. We're talking about nobody is more uh, important than another. The Bible calls it God is no respecter of persons. And Paul in verse number 12 says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, not, not seeing my value as just a crumpled up piece of paper, but seeing my value in his eyes for what I am. He's no respecter of persons. It's not about what I think of myself. It's not even about my past because it's not about me at all. It's about God's view of me and the inherent value that's in there. God has a call for those little kids in the nursery and for those little kids in junior church and for these young teens who have their whole lives ahead of them and they might be preachers, they might be uh, uh, police officers. God has a call on their life for every single one of those and God has a call for those who say, you know what, I've got kind of a wrinkled past. I've got some things in my past that I don't know God can uh, overcome. I'm here to say God overcame it in Saul's life and I think he can do it in your life too. He values you for what he sees in you, not what you think about yourself. 
God values you as a soul who can bring glory to God, and that's our main purpose here in life. God values you for himself in you. That's our value. There's a man who got up last week, very first name in our book. There's 70 different names in there. He says, we've been hearing stories all day about the the church planner would get up, have two or three minutes to talk about, my name is this, and I'm going to this town, I'm going to plant this church, or they might have said, I've been there for two years, and we're trying to get into a building. There's a man named Roland Burke that got up, and he's from Florida, and started just talking about the call of God on his life. It was a unique story, some of the stories that we'd been hearing all week. And there was a little slur to his speech, a little bit of a mumble by the way he spoke. And just to be honest, he sounded kind of like a street baller, a street thug, and a gangster type of slur to his speech, a little bit of accent to that. And he's talking just like a pastor would, and yet he says, I'm going to be honest with you. I was in and out of jail. He says, I was strung out on drugs the whole nine yards. He didn't want to glorify his past. But he said, but God saved me. And now it's amazing to think that he can take a little Florida street kid and go plant a church in Oklahoma. And I've never even been to Oklahoma, but he choked up a little bit and said, remembering his past, he just said, you know what? I'm just so thankful to God. I'm so thankful to God for changing me and allowing me to do that. The churches rallied around him, gave him something like $20,000 to go help him start his church, get into a building, get going on that. Another man, Jonathan Ellison greeted me by name when I walked in. I barely recognized him. I'd been to a conference, uh, preaching at a conference, February of 2018 at the City of Refuge. Used to be a boy's home. Now it's a married couple's home. Men who got caught up in drug addictions or other forms of addictions, and they got separated from their families or they were on their street. This man had had done that. I, I barely recognized his face. He was in the program and uh, maybe just briefly talked to him Back in 2018, in this recovery program, this this Christian rehab facility, basically, caught up a little bit with him when he greeted. I'd forgotten all of that. We didn't bring that up in that conversation, but he gets up to present and says, you know what? I was one of these guys you walked past on the street. I was strung out on drugs. Here I was in Oklahoma, and God saved me because somebody took enough care of me to introduce me to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, I went through the City of Refuge program, I've rehabbed my entire life, and now I want to plant a church in Henrietta, Oklahoma, and reach other men who are like that, that we walk right by sometimes. Because they need the same message, they don't need another program, they don't just need rehab, they need the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to plant a church in order to tell people about Jesus Christ. And he says, it's been awesome already, I'm looking at, at, at meeting locations, and we've got a hotel lined up. And they're only going to charge us $50 a week. And all the Californians are going, oh, man, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> the Seattle guys are going, we're paying $4,500 a month for, uh, for these tiny little rooms. And the pastor says, they're even setting up chairs and giving us coffee. That's definitely the hand of God on the life right there. Brother Gaddis got up afterwards and said, you know what? In those situations where you see the hand of God, you ought to start seeing his fingerprints along the way. And it's like that God is moving in this man's life and that God is bringing up these these wonderful deals like $50 a week. He might have viewed himself as one that was wrinkled and just trash that could be cast aside. And God looked at him and said, you know what? No, your value is not in what you do, but in who you are for me. So come serve me. There's these men that felt no value, but trusted 
God, if you'll call me, just like the Apostle Paul, I, I thank God that he, he called me into ministry. Thank God that he saw a value in me. We've had young people respond to God's call. I don't know if there's been that many elderly people or older people who have said, you know what, my past is too far gone. The Apostle Paul is here to say your past is not too far gone. God might be calling you. If it is to ministry, then that's a wonderful thing. But if not, God is calling all of us to something, to find our value in him and to live for him. They accepted Saul. Ananias came and um, answered, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil hath been done to thy saints at Jerusalem. Here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel. In some ways, the Christians even were viewing Saul like a crumpled up piece of trash. He's terrifying. He'll kill my family, or he did kill a family member of mine. We can't trust him. He hasn't changed there's no, there's, there's no redemption possible for somebody like Saul. And God says, no, I have a call of God on his life. And I will show him how much great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus hath appeared unto thee in the way that thou camest. That's just a picture of grace where Christians... Look at a crumpled up mess and say, you know what? This is not a devalued person. There's still so much value in him. Because in God's eyes, he has a purpose. He has a plan for this man, Saul, and so he's my brother. He's right here along with me. He's going to do something for God. Don't ever underestimate the grace of God in transforming lives. Don't ever underestimate that people, mere people, can be as forgiving of, as God. That is the forgiveness of the grace of God. That's how God can do that. In verse number 14, the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul says the gospel, living a gospel life means that God's grace is all over me. I'm living a life of faith and love. And now, verse 16, for this cause I obtained mercy that in me, first Jesus, might show forth all long-suffering. God put up with a lot. He suffered for a long time with my past life. But now, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him. A sketch, a, a, a pattern, like a, a, a pattern that we use, a stitch to follow, to cut the fabric out, to make something out of clothing. This is a pattern. He says, my life now is an example of God's grace changing and forming me into something new and making me into something better. My life is a pattern of what can be for other people's lives. And my life used to be a crumpled up mess in my eyes, but the pattern is that God has restored me and made me into something beautiful and valuable and his call, has his calling on my life. The gospel changes Saul's into Paul's, who then invest in Timothy's. Skip over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy 2, 2, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. The gospel message is a chain from Saul to Paul to Timothy to go train other people 
and teach them to go train other people as well. Let's all be disciple-making disciples, glorifying God. And in verse 17, he just ends off with a hymn. Thinking about the glorious change that Jesus Christ has brought into his life, he just can't help it in chapter 1, where we first were. Now, unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. That's his response to God. God, praise you for your wonderful attributes, for your salvation, for the grace that you pour on us, for the mercy. Praise, praise the Father. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Father, we're thankful for our time together this morning. Dear God, there might be somebody in here who has a checkered past that may not be as extreme as Saul but who still might be able to put themselves in his footprints in at least a little way. Say, well, if it's breaking God's laws, I've done a lot of that. I've done a lot of my own kind of blaspheming and my own kind of cursing and hatred and vile thoughts and anger myself. I've, I've broken those laws just like he has. And maybe there's somebody in here who for the first time has heard the, the glorious gospel, the wonderful good news of salvation and forgiveness and God's mercy despite the past. I pray that if there's somebody in here who has never accepted your free gift, that they would accept that today, that they would realize that it's not a rehab program that fixes sin. It's your son. It's the beautiful gospel. Dear God, would you work your supernatural work in this service today? And for Christians who are seeing their value and what they do for you instead of who they are in you, I pray that they'll not see themselves as just a crumpled up $1 bill, but truly for the value that you place on our life. And you call us to something greater and higher and more wonderful. Dear God, thank you for that calling. Dear God, would you make us whiter than snow, as the song says. Bless us today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Stand if you would. We're going to sing 310. If God has spoken to you, the point is not to just allow it to fester in your mind, but to respond to God in some way. Our invitation is just a chance to say, God, if you, you have spoken, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with this, but I want to talk to God more. Then that's what this is about. Pastors up here on the front row, there's counselors who can take you from the Bible and show you more about this wonderful gospel that God wants to present to you that God wants to offer you this free gift that he has for you. Brother Grissom's going to sing, and as he sings, you're invited to come at this time. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want as believers and non-believers is right now. to live in 